Talking Leaders is a Vogwin Access production, producing audio content that really gets people talking. I continue to grow in my appreciation for what you do and for what all people who put together podcasts do, because I decided I was going to try to listen to this bridge podcast again because there was a new there was a new episode up. Right. And I really I had to stop after half an hour. <laughs> Why? Because it was so bad. Mm. I mean, in terms of it was very frustrating because it was a, a guest and a topic that I ordinarily would want to hear from. Mm. I was on a draw, long drive in my car, so I was the perfect kind of captive audience for it. Yep. But the interviewer was so bad, and it was one of these just raw, you know, it's not edited at all. It's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. long conversation. And it got to the point that really just five minutes in, I would have to try to, like, listen to it for 20 to 30 seconds and then pause it just to kind of – gear up the strength to listen to another 30 seconds of it. <laughs> what sort of let the bile subside? Well, I just, in terms of like, okay, you know, do I really want to continue on with this? Like, what do I think are the chances that somebody's going to say something? Well, why was it so funny? bad? Yeah. When you said it was that, why you said the interviewer was so bad. What, what was, why was he or she so bad? He's bad because he's obviously not prepared. Right. So there are times when he's thinking about the next question that he wants to ask or the next thing that he wants to say. Mm. And there are actual long pauses in there, which seems very out of place in mm. a in a podcast. Mm. Uh, and his questions and this comes this gets to the point that you wanted to talk about. The questions are just bad. It's clear that there's the questions that have just popped into his head in the moment. Mm. Which is shows a lack of preparation and surprise, surprise, a lack of preparation shows through. Mm. I'm sure there are a whole bunch of spontaneous conversations that sound great, but that's usually not how it's done. Well, when you say there are there are pauses, then I mean, that's one thing that's that's a criticism that's leveled at Michael Barbaro, who does the daily podcast and the New York Times podcast. And people say sometimes he'll. He'll just pause and his defense is, well, yeah, I'm thinking about what they're saying and and formulating a question. I don't think anybody would then say the questions he then asks are are poor. And I don't think anyone anyone would say yeah. that he, that he comes across as unprepared. But so this guy, it's not that he's doing a Michael Barbaro then, it's just No, not not at all. Right. Not at all. It it's It's pauses when two people are kind of having an awkward conversation and they're not actually talking about anything yet. What sort of an embarrassed silence, you mean? And so that's not good. And so uh, and a lot of the questions that he comes up with are, in fact, not questions, Mm. but they're just sort of things that he wanted to talk about that has to do with him. Not, you know, not guest focused at all. Yeah. Like, well, I was in a tournament once, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, there's there's a pause there, and it's just like, so it's like it's super super bad, and 
it's so bad that I find it unlistenable, mm. which is a shame because I love the subject matter so much and the guests, you know, could with the right bit of preparation, they would be really, really focused. And you could you could definitely see how with the right level of preparation, instead of having this hideous hour and a half podcast, you would have a nice tight 30 to 35 minutes that would do really really well mm. yeah i sometimes guests can can transcend the the uh the, the weakness of the interviewer because they know their stuff and and maybe the interviewer introduces a topic and the guest knows something about it so they ignore the actual question if there even was one yeah uh, and yeah. then they then go and see, speak about the topic because it's something they know people want to hear about and that could be good but um you can't rely on that yeah. No, and I and I have listened to some guests who are able to do that. For some reason, the bridge players are not those kind of guests. Mm-hmm. Whereas most, most people, most people aren't. I don't think. I think you, you no, know, no, no, no. You're right. And and that and the thing is about about podcasting is one of the great things about podcasting is is how egalitarian it is and how it's opened up uh, communication channels to everybody ordinary people like you and me and you know ordinary people like you and me aren't media trained and necessarily and uh, uh, maybe we don't have a flair or, or a skill to speak in these kind of situations and I think that's where you know the skill of the interviewer comes in because then what you want to try and do is is create an environment where the person you're speaking to the interviewee does feel like they're just having a conversation in the way that they would if they were chatting to you over a coffee. And um, and there is a skill in that. There definitely is a skill in that. I think that's a great way to put it. There absolutely is. And a skilled interviewer will be able to assess where the guest is and put them in a comfortable place mm. so they can tell their story in their best way. And I would even argue, and I'm just speculating here, but I would even argue that the good interviewers do that not fully consciously. Mm. They just have a good knack of sizing up. Here's how I'm going to ask this just to put somebody at ease or I like I feel they really want to talk about this part of it. And so just in their follow up question, they just kind of they just kind of put a hint in the question that, like, you know, you could totally go in this direction and it would be good. And then they totally go. And when it's done well, you don't notice it at all, because to the listener, it's just two people having a great conversation. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that 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 comes because uh, in the moment they're not thinking about their game, but they have put a lot into building their game uh, I think a lot of it is very much in the in the prep and it's in the prep for the particular interview and the particular person that they're speaking to but just in in for what they're doing it's it's their their craft I mean one of the things I was very pleased that I was able to talk about when I spoke with Debbie uh, Aurelius on the the bigger fish podcast that I was guesting on last week uh, was that notion of craft I mean you've heard me talk about craft before um, you know this idea. I love this idea of us having a craft. You know, you go down in the morning to your work, your virtual workbench, and and do whatever it is you do. And it's it's what you've done before and the week before. But each time you try and do it better and better each time. And if you can identify, well, what 
what is it in your work is, that is your craft? And I think I think that's a wonderful thing to to focus on. And there's a craft in being a good interviewer. And I think that's what the good ones do is that they have a craft and they've honed it and developed it and they apply it. But when it gets to the point where they're actually using it for real, so to speak, then they don't have to think about it because it does come, it appears to come naturally. Yes. Um, I think that's the the, uh, the good thing. The other thing that is part of, of ha- being good at that craft, which I think is is lovely to hear in a good interviewer is curiosity. And if someone is genuinely curious about the subject and about what the person they're speaking to has to say about it, I think that that makes for a good conversation. But it makes it makes for a good interview conversation because it shifts the focus to the interviewee. Unlike a, a chat between friends where you're exchanging views backwards and forwards and it it, you know the balance could could be 50-50 or it could swing either way yes in an interview it should really be almost all about the interviewee and that's where i think if the interviewer is is genuinely curious then that that shift will naturally occur i do think that that's an important difference because it, there should be a clear distinction between interviewer and interviewee it should not be 50-50. Something that's 50-50 is truly a conversation which could be enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. But it is not an interview. No. And I can see something that is maybe 20-80, in particular if the interviewer is like a known personality and they are, you know, referencing other famous people or other people that they've interviewed. But... Really, most of the focus has to be on the interviewee and a skilled interviewer will be able to influence the conversation without removing the focus from the interviewee. Yep. They're able to do that in in a very, very nice way. And it's a it's a tricky kind of thing because when it's done well, you don't notice. Mm. But in the absence of it. um, So this one podcast that I just listened to is a really good example of how jarring it can be in the absence of that craft. Mm. So on that, on the point then about the interview and the, the role that the interviewer plays, do you think interviewers should never give their own opinions or give their own experiences? I wouldn't go that far. I think that it's like a spice or a season. You know, you drop it in here or there, it facilitates the conversation in a very good way. Yeah. And it kind of harkens back to, yes, this is a conversation. So it's more intimate Mm. and it brings the podcast to bear. Yeah. Whereas if you did something very cold, like, Paul, here's question one. What do you think about this? And I am like consciously and intentionally just withdrawing from having a conversation at all. I'm asking the questions and you're answering them mm. as an interviewer. And we've seen some of these interviews where maybe the interviewer isn't prepared. They're just sort of reading from a list like that sticks out. That sticks out clearly as well. Yeah. So it can't be that stark. But a good interviewer is going to use that judiciously and sparingly. Yeah. 
I like your analogy there of, of a spice. I think that's exactly right. It's, a, it's you know a strong spice, and throw, throwing a bit in now and then can can just add a little a little piquancy, a little extra something. I think there are two types of situations where an interviewer can get drawn into giving their own opinion. I mean, on the one hand, there's where they 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 volunteer, they jump in and say, "Oh yeah, well, like the, you're saying that." There's this one time, and then they give a story. And if you're going to do that as an interviewer, then I think you really do have to be very skilled because one, the example you give has to be really apposite and it has to be given. I think mostly you'd give it because you think it's going to help illustrate the point that the interviewee has given. You know, maybe you want to just elucidate something a little bit more clearly so you can do it then. But you, you don't want then a half hour diatribe on your experience. Um, the other thing time it can happen is sometimes you'll you you can get the point where the interviewee invites you in and asks you a question um and there's a couple of examples i was i was listening to um uh one of the knowledge project podcasts you know shane Parrish's podcast mm -hmm. and he was interviewing jim collins who uh, you know wrote from good to great and uh, all those kind of things but which your guru and actually jim collins at several points said well you know what do you think and what is what's your opinion and I like the way Shane answered that because at one point, uh, Jim Collins asked him a question, asked Shane Parrish a question, and, and Shane says, well, I have to think about that. And he sort of muses quickly and then gives an answer. But that was lovely because you then did get a really nice exchange. But then the great thing was Jim Collins, being such a proficient guest anyway, was able to pick up and then use what Shane Parrish said to, to build further. And I had my own experience when I was talking to Laura Sicola. And you remember Laura wrote the uh, the book Speaking to Influence, uh, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Yes. And uh, one of the things that she talks about is a problem people have is getting lost in the weeds when they're, when they're trying to present or whatever. And I said, oh, could you talk about that? Because it was something that I was interested in and I recognized in myself and others. And she said, oh, I'd love to hear your experience. Please describe what uh, what you experienced. So I did. I told her about how I used to get lost in the weeds and could easily get drawn into giving far too much information and detail and distracting people. And then also later on, as I learned how to overcome that, I could see other people coming into leadership teams that I was on and how they were making the same mistakes. And But then she took the baton back and then she carried on with it. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and that was a good that was good. It and it it was a nice little uh, change of pace for for a while and then and then you got going again. And the reason it works and it's really it's really good is because actually I think that's why this kind of conversational information communication is so good because for some reason we seem to be able to stay focused and 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 retain attention on that kind of conversation rather than a monologue, say. So. Yeah, th yeah, there's there's a real stickiness there as opposed to a lecture when something like that happens. Yeah. And when it's done well, it's done well because the interviewer is prepared. They have something they can say. But also, it, it's like you said, because they're genuinely curious. And that shows in that they've probably given this some thought, like, like Shane is a very good example. He does his he does his homework. He loves talking to these people. He loves the subject area. So he's going to have a view. Hmm. He's legitimately curious in what these people have to say. Yeah. And so if it's turned around, I'm not surprised at all that he delivered on that. 
the other thing you, you, you touched on it there, I think this is important, is um, I think it helps a lot if the interviewer knows knows something about the subject. Uh, they don't have to be as expert as the interviewee. Uh, but that's sort of the point of interviewing the person they are because they're, they're more expert or they have more knowledge. But you can tell if the interviewer has a feel and, and, and an understanding of the subjects that's being discussed. It just comes across. And that's interesting because my that's something that I had to think about when I first started doing this is, well, does that mean then I can only ever interview people who are from my own field and, and have worked in, in areas I've worked in where I have a deep understanding and experience? And the answer is to that, I feel, no, it doesn't mean that. Because actually, as a scientist and a leader and somebody who's worked in, in large organisations, there's much of what I know which is common to many different sectors. Um, so that can be transferred over. But it does help hugely if you then go and learn more about the, the business sector that, say, the interviewee works in. So that you do get that understanding and a feel, and you can do it. You can you can actually get to the point where you start to get a feel for the the language they use and how they talk and think about that, and that comes through as well. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And in in classic, a, a lot of podcasts are done as like someone's wrote a book and now they're being interviewed about the book. And could you predict whether the interviewer has actually read the book? And like from the podcast, you probably can. Yeah, well, I have to say, I was very, very, very pleased that, that when I when I did interview Laura, then she she did very kindly compliment me by saying, "Wow, you read the book," and I and I sort of said, "Yeah." Well, you know, it didn't really occur to me that I could interview her without reading the book. And um, she then went on to say, "Well, she's, she's been on a couple of of shows where they clearly hadn't. They just got a standard set of questions and they just rolled those out and." And then she answered them. And that can work because she, she's very accomplished and she's used to talking about her book. So she just needs the prompt where it says, well, in chapter one, you talked about Upspeak. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So she can do that. But I don't find those kind of interviews that satisfying, really. The trouble with those things, if you do that, is that you're really giving a platform. You could be giving a platform to the, the person who's speaking to just give their PR spiel. And yeah. I'm not yeah. I'm not so fussed about that. I prefer it when someone does ask a, you know, a slightly probing question. I, I love it when you ask, you hear a question asked, and it really does give the interviewee pause for thought and makes them think a bit more about their subject, and then they they, they give their reflection. I think that that's that could be that makes for great listening and great understanding. When I was listening to this this Bridge podcast. I was so frustrated that I was trying to come up with an explanation for why I was so frustrated. And one of one of my hypotheses was that the conversation was just at the wrong level, given my knowledge of the subject matter and experience and everything. Mm. So I, I imagine that some podcasts wouldn't hit because they're either at too basic or too advanced a level. Mm. So that I couldn't engage with it. And so as I was driving in between, you know, listening to this, I was thinking about how does one go about setting the right level of the conversation so that people can access the podcast? And is that something you think about? And is that something you need to to be aware of? And 
I'd be interested in your thoughts about it. I mean, if one way of, of looking at what you just said is, you know, our podcast's good for for information communication, which is the kind of podcast we're most interested in at all levels, uh, from basic right through to advanced. And actually, I don't think podcasts are great for basic level stuff. Let me give you an example. Um, I've listened to quite a few wine podcasts. I'm interested in wine. It's a hobby and an interest. And um, there are lots out there where you're they're interviewing growers or uh, critics or maybe sommeliers or something, something like that. And I, and I like those. They're great to listen to. But there are also some you can get, which are basic, basic education podcasts, where they walk you through, well, what are the basic types of grapes and those kind of things. And um, I, I really can't listen to those. Now, a part of that is because I know the basic stuff. I've, I've been interested in wine for a long time, so I've picked it up. But actually, I don't think it's just that. I think it's that it just doesn't it doesn't work in that way because you've got two people talking, and the interviewer is clearly not curious in the way that we're talking about because they know. So they're doing an education job. So it seems staged and stilted and awkward. Yeah, and it's artificial. It is artificial, and I don't think that that works so well. Now, maybe you could get a conversation where somebody says, well, I don't know anything about wine. Tell me about wines. I've never heard any of those. And so I don't, I don't think they are that great for, uh, f- for the basic information giving. And that's why in, you know, when we've worked with, with clients, we frequently say don't use podcasts as your primary information channel. They're yeah. best. They're, I, I think they work very, very well and are most effective as, as follow-up or as as in-depth exploration of a of a topic that that people already know about that's where they really come into their own um so yeah i think there is a difference there i'm not sure not sure they're great for basic stuff find another way of doing that send somebody a powerpoint slide and say read that first and then we'll go into you know well exactly why is chardonnay different in different parts of the world and what is it that influences it you know getting into the whole topic a little bit more yeah i like that I like that. So I, I just came to the conclusion that just to complete the story, I don't think that the problem with the podcast was that it was at the wrong level for me. I think it was just, you know, poorly executed. But I just have a new profound appreciation. I just wanted to say thank you to you and thank you to Debbie and the people who really put in the work here because it does make a difference. And I really do get it and I really do believe that practice really does make a difference. You pull that out and you put the time in and you know the resulting product of half an hour it's just a better quality thing. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Leaders. If you're a leader that's talking to a dispersed audience and you really need them to hear you understand you and believe you, then maybe audio could be just what you're looking for. If you'd like to discuss the possibilities of using audio, then why not drop me an email to paul.gisby at Thanks.